As you will know, well, my name is Antonio Munoz. I'm the Spanish pastor here at Redeemer, and what a blessing it is to be here. I'm going to speak a little bit of Spanish, you know, so that uh, our Spanish congregation will understand a little bit of what's going on. Esta semana esperamos que ustedes pronto firmen ya y que vengan con nosotros el próximo jueves, los que ya se anotaron a lo que es Walk with Jesus. Y uh, todavía queda mucho espacio disponible para el viernes a las 4 de la tarde, favor de ir y anunciar esa parte. Uh, por favor, a todos nuestros amigos, nuestros hermanos en Cristo que hablan español, qué gozo estar aquí con nosotros. Si tienen ustedes el aparato, si aún no tienen el aparato de traducción, favor de ir corriendo allá afuera. Uno de nuestros sugieres con todo gusto le puede proporcionar el, la traducción eh, para que pueda usted escucharlo en español. For everybody else, for just giving announcements in Spanish and then also inviting them to get one of the translators because this is, all of this is going to be translated into, into Spanish, simultaneous translation. So we thank the Lord for that. Well, it's been about uh, 11 years since last time, the first time that I met Guillermo, uh, Will, Bill, as we call him uh, very lovingly. Uh, you know, pastors are very leery, very cautious when they loan the, per the pulpit to other people. And uh, because sometimes we've kind of had some bad experiences here and there. And, but there's somebody that I will always trust the pulpit to, and is my brother Bill. He always does a really good job of presenting the word. And also, he's a longtime friend of my, of my wife, Becky. They went together to Moody Bible Institute. I'm not going to say how many years ago. Many. Uh, many. A few, a few years ago. And for that, we thank the Lord. And it's a privilege to have today my brother Bill come up here and bless us with the word. It was so many years ago that we, we actually typed our papers. <laughs> There were no computers then. Anyway, well, as Antonio said, my name is, if you speak Spanish, is Guillermo. If you don't or you have trouble with Spanish, it's Bill, Brother Bill. I've been baptized here in Texas, and I'm happy to, by those who are linguistically challenged. But anyway... The important thing is that you should know I'm a Jutino. What's a Jutino? Those of us who are Jews who have been born south of the Rio Grande. We're both Jews and Latinos. Therefore, we are Jutinos. And I'm not making this up. Look it up on the web. It is true. We are real. We exist. And, I mean, what a combination, Jews and Latino. Man, gosh, it could get very, really interesting. But anyway, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, particularly on this day. This day, Palm Sunday, as the Christian world knows it, which is the day when we start walking our path, considering the events that brought our Savior to the cross and to his resurrection. And, of course, one of the main events of this week is going to be the Last Supper. Now, have you ever wondered, I mean, who can deny the importance of the Lord's Supper? I mean, it is the memorial of memorials. I mean, nothing speaks best of what the Lord did for us than the Lord's Supper, where we remember His sacrifice on the cross for us. Yet, we need to ask ourselves a question. Why did He take the bread? Why did he take the cup? Why didn't he take something else? You know, 
A few years ago, my wife and I were visiting a church in Argentina where we were born. And uh, the pastor was preaching about the Lord's Supper. And, you know, so he says, why did Jesus take the bread? Why did Jesus take the cup? You know, we preachers like to repeat ourselves. So 10 minutes later, why did Jesus take the bread? Why did Jesus take the cup? Same thing 10 minutes later, same thing, same thing 10, uh, 10 minutes later. And at one point, it just felt like, I'll tell you, you know, let's get over with it. <laughs> Finally, imagine my disappointment when he ends the service saying, well, Jesus just took the bread and the cup because they're two, they are the two most common elements you can find in any table around the world. Yes, what? What indeed? I just felt like doing, you know, we foreigners learn English with American TV. I learned a lot with the, you know, the price is right. So I just felt like saying, ah, wrong. <laughs> wrong. That's not why Jesus took the bread and he took the cup because he was celebrating Passover, which is a Jewish holiday. And the thing is, if we learn more about Passover, we will learn more about the profound meaning of the Lord's Supper. I know we're familiar with it. I know we know about it. But did you know that during Passover, Jewish people also take a piece of bread and also take a cup? And did you know that this coming Friday is the first night of Passover? And millions of Jewish people around the world, even in this very own town, are going to be partaking of the bread and the cup. That's why Jesus took the bread and the cup. Because he was Jewish, and he was celebrating Passover. And he took the ancient elements of Passover and gave them a new meaning in what we know today as the Lord's Supper. So, this morning, as we walk through that ceremony, as it was celebrated in biblical times, and as we walk through that ceremony, as it will be celebrated in Jewish homes around the world, starting this Friday for seven days, let's see if we can learn something more about Passover and the Lord's Supper. So, in order to do this, of course, we need to put ourselves in context. So, in your Bibles, phones, tablets, whatever you use, um, let's go to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. Let's see what the good doctor has to say. Luke 22, verse 1. Now. The feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus and Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room upstairs all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. So, Passover, 
begins a seven-day holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, we don't eat anything that contains leaven. Why not leaven, you may ask? Well, throughout Scripture, we find that leaven is usually used as a symbol for sin. And so since this is a holy convocation, we can't have anything in the house that contains leaven. So seven, about six, seven weeks before Passover, the mother begins a very thorough cleaning of the house. She goes around the house and she picks up anything that contains leaven. Bread, brownies, cookies, yeast, whatever. She picks them up and throws them away. Because again, this is a holy convocation and we can't have anything in the house that contains leaven. In other words, we can't have anything in the house that represents sin. Am I in Texas? Okay. I mean, I've just been to a bunch of states. I mean, I want to hear some Texan enthusiasm, okay? So... I'll let it go this time. Now, once the house has been cleansed, we are ready to celebrate the Passover Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word which means order because the celebration of Passover follows a very strict order of service. During this time, which usually takes from three to four hours, don't be afraid. <laughs> We're not going to be here for hours. We're all going to get out for our Sunday lunch. Okay, we, you do a bunch of things. You, uh, you pray, you sing, you read scripture. Uh, we even have a meal. And everything has to be done in a very precise order. Now, they say in the world, ladies first. Um, who are we Jews to disagree with that? So everything begins with the lighting of the candles. And this is the honor and the duty of the mother. So... Oh, here comes one of these things I don't know how to use. Am I doing this right? Uh, can I have help with this? Oh, there we go. Okay, go ahead. Sure. There we go. Not really. Okay, good. Thank you, Pastor Mitch. Now, once she lights the candles, she's going to say a special prayer that goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kilishanu bamitzvotav vitzivanu neadlich ner shel pesach. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You have sanctified us with your commandments and have given us the commandment of lighting the Passover candle. It is very fitting that a woman lights these candles. For this reminds me that the Messiah, the light of the world, will not come from the seed of man, but from the seed of the woman and the will of God. Just as the prophet Isaiah foretold, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? That sounded better. Okay. Now, during Passover... We drink from our cups four times. And each time we do, the cup receives a special name. First cup is the, cup, the Kiddush cup, or the cup of sanctification. Then we have the second cup, the cup of plagues. Then, ah, this is the one we need to pay special attention to. For this is the one that comes after dinner. And this is called the cup of redemption. And guess what? This is the one that Jesus took to give us the Lord's Supper. And then we have the last cup, the cup of praise. It is with the first cup that the Father 
will offer a special blessing. Holding the cup uh, this way, he will say this prayer. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Perich Agafen Amen Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us the fruit of the vine. Amen. The ceremony has begun, and now the youngest boy, the youngest girl, they come to ask about the meaning of Passover. And they have to ask the four traditional questions of Passover. These questions are in Hebrew, they are chanted, and the first one goes like this. Which translated means, why is this night different from all other nights? And so we explain. This is what we do to remember what the Lord our God did for us. When he took us out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and, a and an outstretched arm. You see, the message of Passover is a message of freedom. It's a message of liberation. For we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And God saw our suffering, and he sent us a liberator. His name was Moses. And he went to Pharaoh with those famous words, Let my people go. But he would not let us go. So God started sending plagues. Nine plagues and nothing. Until God said, this is enough. I'm going to send a final and terrible plague. I'm going to send the angel of death to the land of Egypt. And on one night, he's going to take the lives of every single of uh, the life of every firstborn in every family in the land of Egypt. But God in his mercy decided to save us. And how? Well, he instructed us to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb. We needed to sacrifice that lamb on the altar, and then we needed to apply the blood of those lambs on the doorposts of our homes, first on the top and then on the side. And so, when the angel of death came over the land of Egypt that night, and he saw the blood of those lambs in the doorposts of our homes, guess what? He passed over the homes of the Jewish people. Thus, the name for the holiday, Passover. For we remember when the angel of death passed over the homes of the Jewish people because of the blood. The blood of a lamb. What a great image of redemption. But I'm sure that if we know Messiah Jesus, we know of a greater image of redemption. Think about this. If I was a Jewish elder in the land of Egypt, and I sacrificed that lamb, and I collected that uh, blood with, the, with a basin, and then I used that blood to paint first the top and then the sides, what, and imagine the blood was dripping. What did I just make the image of? Say it. Oh, okay. The cross, that's right. Because we know that Passover was actually a shadow of something greater to come. The Passover was a, is a prophecy of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Because, my friends, just as my ancestors had life, because they applied the blood of those lambs to the doorposts of their homes. Today we also have life, but eternal and abundant life, if we apply the blood of, the, of Messiah Jesus to the doorposts of our hearts. Amen? Amen? 
good. Second question. Why is it that tonight we eat only unleavened bread? And we explain. Our ancestors, in the rush to leave the land of Egypt, they had to take the bread, but the dough had not risen yet. A very interesting and intriguing, may I say, element at the Passover table is this called the matzatosh. Why is it intriguing? Because it is one. It's a pouch. But it has three parts. One, two, and three. And inside each of these compartments, you have a piece of unleavened bread. So, it's one, but it's actually three. Mmm. Mmm. That sounds familiar. Or you could say it's actually three. You see, one, two, three, but it's also one. Could that be? No, no, no. This is a Jewish thing. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with it, right? That's what the rabbis would say. Now, here comes the interesting part. At this time of the service, the father needs to remove the middle portion of this matzatosh. So, he takes out this piece of bread, okay, and he's going to say a prayer, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam amotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us bread from the earth. Amen. And he breaks it in two. He puts one part aside, and, to the, and the other, he gives a special name. The Afikomen. Shall we try to say it all together? Let us. Afikomen. Again? Okay. Afikomen means he who comes later. And that's exactly what happens. We don't need the afikomen. At this time, we wrap it inside a napkin and we hide it somewhere in the house. Don't tell anybody. Nobody in the house knows what the afikomen is. Again, the name, he who comes later, because that's exactly what happens. We don't need it now. At this point, it remains hidden. You could say like uh, buried. But later, we'll have to bring it back or we won't be able to finish the service. Okay, last two questions. Why is it that tonight we eat only bitter herbs? And the other one, why do we dip the bitter herbs in salty water? To explain this, let me show you the most prominent feature at the Passover table. This is called the Seder plate. In, the, at, on this, uh, in this plate, you'll see that we have different compartments, different spots. You see it? Inside each spot, we have something that we eat. I said we learn in different ways during the Passover. We learn by uh, reading, by listening. We also learn by eating. And each of these, co these elements have something to tell us about the Passover table, uh, the Passover, the story of Passover. Now, first one is called, oh, by the way, I want to mention this. Uh, and uh, I want to uh, 
I want to compliment the church for doing this. Uh, just so you can get the experience, we have the different elements set up in those tables, you see, to the sides of the, the, uh, the auditorium. Let me encourage you, let me encourage you to, uh, to taste them uh, before you go. They are there for you to do that. And you'll get the idea, particularly the kids, okay, kids, you're invited to try them, uh, because you'll get a better idea of what I'm speaking. First element is called carpus or greens. And we usually use uh, parsley or lettuce. These uh, greens represent life. And in Israel, that is so true. You know, we live in this great country where we see water everywhere. Not that case in the Middle East. So when you see, and by the way, water is a very precious commodity in Israel. To a point that water is extremely expensive. The, Jordan, the River Jordan has pretty much dried up. So the only two sources of water for Israel is either the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, is, an, is a lake, or the Mediterranean Sea. Israel has set up huge plans to desalinize the water from the Mediterranean Sea, but that process, as you can imagine, is quite expensive. So water is very expensive in Israel. So these greens represent life. And before we eat, we eat it, or we eat them, we dip them in salty water, which is a symbol of tears. And with this, as we try, as we uh, eat them, feel the saltiness of, these, uh, of this water, we remember the many tears that my ancestors cried when they were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. The next element is quite interesting. This is what we, what we call maror. Now, guess what this is? Fresh Ground horseradish. Ooh, boy. And this is a time that we Jewish kids hate because we're supposed to take the bread, dip it, and eat a very nice lump of this horseradish. Any volunteers? You know what would happen if you eat this? Yes, 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 kid. You volunteer, you don't know what you're talking about. This is horrible. This is disgusting. And yet... Jesus dipped the bread in horseradish. I'm going to read to you a text that you pro have probably read many times, but you never, know what, you never knew probably what it meant. John 13, uh, starting in verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, this is John, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Why did he do that? Very simple, friends. He was at the point of the service where he needed to dip the bread in the horse riders. And it seems to me very appropriate that in order to, to point to the one who was going to do something so horrible, that he would pick the most horrible thing at the table <laughs> and said, here, Judas, I know it's you. And this is how I feel about it. <laughs> so, friends, when you go and taste this, I know we've all been betrayed. 
a friend, family member, God forbid, a spouse. So as you taste this bitter horseradish, I hope it will help you to get an idea how Jesus felt about being betrayed by someone he loved and who was actually one of his closest disciples. By contrast, we have something very different. This is what we call the haroset. The haroset is a mixture of uh, chopped apples, um, grape juice, cinnamon, sugar, honey, and sometimes we, are, we also add walnuts and, uh, and, uh, and raisins. Uh, now, this mixture is uh, delicious, of course. But look at the color. Look at the brownish color. The rabbis say that this mixture reminds us of the mortar that the Jewish people used to make bricks for Pharaoh, which brings us to an interesting contradiction. How could it be that such a sweet mixture reminds us of such a horrible life? Well, the rabbis say that uh, even, the sweet, even the bitterest life is sweetened with the promise of redemption. And isn't that true? You know, some false preachers, or actually preachers who I do not agree with, like the prophet of Highway 59, downtown Houston, I'm not going to tell you who that is, says that if you believe in Jesus, oh, everything's going to be fine. Money is going to rain from heaven. Employers are going to come to your door begging for, you know, to take their job. We know that you're not going to get sick. That's, uh, that, that's just not true. What the Bible promises is that Jesus will walk with us through those dark times. And, even, and he's walking, his presence with us will sweeten even the bitterest moment. Amen? Okay. Very good. Next element is called the Hagiga. The Hagiga is an egg, uh, a horrible egg, I hope. You know, I know if it isn't, it would be funny to you, but not to me. Um, and this is a symbol of grief for the Jewish people. This is what we do. We hold this egg on top of the flame so it burns. Why do we do that? Hagiga was the name given to the sacrifice brought to the temple. And, as you know, the temple was destroyed in the year 70 A.D. So Jewish people have this egg, which we burn on the flame to remind us, as a symbol of grief, that the temple was destroyed, was first set on fire and then destroyed. And since then, we have not been able to offer any more sacrifices. Did Jesus have this at, this ta at his table? No. Why? Because, of course, the temple still stood in Jesus' day. There's one last element, which I don't have here on purpose. This is called the Zoroah. The Zoroah is the shank bone of a lamb. And it's also a symbol of grief for the Jewish people because it also reminds us that since the temple was destroyed, we haven't been able to offer any more sacrifices. Now, did Jesus have this, this bone at his table? Well, he had many bones. Why? Because what was the menu of that night? Lamb. The lamb that had been sacrificed. Which brings me to a, a very famous painting, The Last Supper. Have you ever seen it? You know, Leonardo da Vinci, I got news for you. He, he didn't paint the Last Supper. He painted the last Catholic Italian lunch. <laughs> Why do I say that? Very simple. 
I went to Milan to see it. I had to see it with my own eyes. And we went with my wife. Okay, first of all, look at the, you look at the painting, there's light in the back. Why? Leonardo, because Leonardo was Italian. What's the main meal for Italians? Lunch. So he painted lunch. Secondly, did you see those loaves of bread that are painting? I mean, nice sourdough. They look like a San Francisco, you know, sourdough. You know, Jesus, it was the feast of unleavened bread for crying out loud. This is the only thing that Jesus would have had on his table. But Italians love their nice, you know, their nice fluffy bread. Also, what was the protein that Jesus uh, painted, that uh, Leonardo painted on, on the table? Fish. Why? Come on, my, my amigo hispano. ¿Por qué pintó Leonardo el, el pescado? Because he was a Catholic. What do Catholics eat on Lent? Fish. So again, and, and then he paints Jesus sitting, you know, this nice oak, whatever, you know, table. Jesus never sat at a table. They reclined over pillows, and that's why we have these pillows to remind us, you know, we Jews need to remember that Judaism did not start in Brooklyn. It started, you know, in the Middle East, where people actually didn't sit at tables, but reclined over cushions, okay? So, these two elements bring us to a very interesting question. Without the sacrifice, without the temple, without the altar, how can we be redeemed? For the Bible is very clear. In order to be redeemed, you need the shedding of blood. You see, and the rabbis found themselves in a real pickle when the temple was destroyed in the year 70. And they went the other way. And they invented this religion we have today called rabbinical Judaism. All they had to do was to listen to the words of a man called Yohanan. He's known in Jewish circles as Yohanan the Immerser. But you probably know him better as John the Baptist. And he solved this problem one day when he was baptizing at the River Jordan. And he saw Jesus. And you know what? You remember his words. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We no longer need sacrifices. We no longer need any lamb because God sent a final sacrifice, Jesus the Messiah, and his blood cleanses all our sins. Amen? Okay. Amen? Sure. Amen. It's true. Okay. Now we come to the second cup, the cup of plagues. In Judaism, a full cup it's a symbol of complete joy, but our joy is not complete now because we're going to remember that, yes, our people were saved, but that night there was a lot of suffering, there was a lot of crying, there was a lot of mourning in the land of Egypt. So what we do is we take the second cup and we empty ten drops to remember the ten plagues. This is also a nice instrument to learn the ten plagues. And the way we do it is like this. So, we dip our fingers in the content of the cup. And here we go. Blood. Frogs. Gnats. Livestock disease. Boils. Hail. Locusts. Darkness. Death. 
Passover is the night of rejoicing for the Jewish people. But even tonight, we cannot rejoice knowing that so many suffered. So this way we show our solidarity with those who suffered so much. There's another big lesson for us as disciples of Jesus. Our joy cannot be complete when so many do not know him. Our joy cannot be complete when many do not enjoy the joy of his salvation. So let this be a lesson for us to pray for those loved ones or those around us who still do not know him. Okay? All right. So now we come to the time that most people are waiting for. Dinner. But I'm not going to serve any great dinner here. Instead, I just want to take five minutes to tell you a little bit about the ministry I represent. By the way, on your, um, on your, on your seats, you should find a contact card for our ministry, Hope for Israel. If you want to be in touch with us, every Friday, we, we don't send mail. We don't. Every, maybe four times a year we do. But every Friday, I don't know if you knew, but um, Jewish people around the world read exactly the same portion of Scripture. Everywhere. Houston, you know, from Houston to L.A. to New York to London, Paris, Jerusalem. We all read the same part of Scripture. Okay? And so every Friday... Our ministry, which is based in Jerusalem, yes, in the Jerusalem, um, we send you an email with that passage of Scripture and with an explanation of devotional showing how that text points to Jesus. So, if you'd like to get that, fill it out. Uh, if you, eh, si usted habla español y lo quiere recibir en español, por favor, cartelón en español. Así se lo podemos mandar en el idioma correcto. And that way you can learn more about us. As you do that, let me tell you about Hope for Israel. Hope for Israel is a mission from Israel. It was, I'm the only one who's not Israeli. All my colleagues are Israeli Jews born, raised in Israel, and who are believers in Israel, and who live there. My friends and my colleagues, when there is a rocket attack, when there's something going on, they don't need to, they don't need to tune in to CNN. They just need to walk out the, you know, look out the window. So, I really admire my co-workers. Now, Hope for Israel is a ministry from Israel, bringing the hope of Messiah back to Israel. We do this in different ways. Number one, we have a ministry of evangelism and discipleship. Of course, we are preaching the gospel in the good land, but in the, in the land, but also we are discipling people. Are people in Israel accepting the Lord? Yes, they are. Are they persevering the Lord? That's another story particularly in a society that is so hostile to the gospel. You would say hostile in Israel. Yes, because you know the real Messiah, but there are so many who call themselves Christians who have done horrible things to Jewish people, even in the land nowadays, that Israelis have this horrible image of Christians. If you ever come to Israel, maybe with us, maybe in another trip, you will find that you are not Christians. Because when Israelis see that the love of Messiah is in you, they will say, ah, you are not Christians. You are not Shreem. You are disciples of the Nazarene. And that's another whole category. And so, we do evangelism and discipleship, particularly with young people. Young people in Israel have a lot of pressures. I don't know if you knew, but if you are 19, uh, if you are 20, 21, you're a woman, you need to serve in the army two years. If you are a man, you need to serve for three years. And so imagine... On Friday night, you come to our youth group in the heart of Jerusalem, and you receive Bible instruction. We do a lot of counseling. Then after Shabbat, you go to your base, 
And you need to put all the equipment and you need to patrol areas where there are Arab kids, unfortunately, who've been told since they were born that the best way to get to heaven is just to get a knife and plunge it into you because they will go straight to heaven. And unfortunately, that's what happened a week ago. A 31-year-old man, Jewish guy, guard at a museum. I don't think there's anything more harmless than, you know, uh, someone who's, you know, guarding a museum. Was going home. Uh, Arab kid came from behind, stabbed him to death. Uh, father of four. Sad, but true. And so we really want to support these kids who are young believers in Jesus. We want to show them that their community of faith is behind them. So what we do is we give, give them Bible instruction, we counsel, but we also send them care packages, cards. And even some youth pastors from here around the, around the United States have, are helping uh, getting in touch with them, being pen pals with these Israeli soldiers who are believers in Jesus. So uh, that's one thing we do. Second thing we do is we do a lot of humanitarian work. Uh, we distribute a lot of food, a lot of supplies in Israel. You know, I grew up in a, an anti-Semitic country like Argentina where people said very unflattering things to me. One of the things they said was, oh, you Jews are filthy rich. Oh, we know that you Jews have a lot of money. You just like to hide it. So one day I just went to my father and I said, Dad, where is it? <laughs> I want to know. I want to know why we live in this humble house, why we don't have a car, why we don't go on fancy vacations. And he said to me, son, I got to tell you something. We Jews are also poor. And there are poor Jews, poor Jewish people in Israel. And there are people who need help. And so twice a year, we do something called Operation Hesed, called, which is, means loving kindness. And so we bring food, supplies uh, to help, particularly at this time, Passover, seven-day holiday. We put together these boxes where we feed whole families for seven days. And we also do that during the Jewish New Year. But we don't do it only with Jewish people. We also do it with Arabs because we believe that the Messiah is a hope for Israel for everybody, for the Jews, for the Arabs, for the Druze and even for the Samaritans who still exist. And we have bridges well of them. So when we distribute food, it's not only for Jews, it's also for Arabs and Samaritans and Druze. And also, when we distribute food, it's not only for believers, it's also for unbelievers, because people are suffering. Young mothers, you know, unwed mothers, widows, Holocaust survivors, so that's what we do. And the third thing we do, and I'm very proud to say it, we have an Arab outreach. Because, do we, I mean... God knows how many awful things are said about Arabs. Arabs need the gospel too. And so we have partnered with a Lebanese uh, congregation that had to flee from Lebanon when Iran made a stronghold there. And they had to come to look for asylum in Israel. So there we are, uh, we are bringing them food, supplies, and we even help pay the rent of the place where they worship the Lord. How about that? So I'm very proud to represent Hope for Israel. And you can help us. How can you help us? Number one, pray for us. Oh boy, we need your prayers. Of the 8 million Jewish people living in Israel, only 16,000 are believers in Jesus. Of the 16 million Jewish people living in the world, less than 1% of us are believers in Jesus. So we, need, we cover your prayers, and hopefully if you sign up for our email, you'll know what we're doing, and you'll pray for us. By the way, uh, uh, at the end, I have materials table, so please, please bring that... Uh, uh, that card to my table, and I'll be able to uh, receive it. Number two, 
you can learn more about the Jewish roots of your faith. We have some wonderful materials. First of all, we have some newsletters and flyers, but please, you know, take them all out when you go home. Those are totally free. We have other materials that, you know, we ask you for a little donation uh, for them. Uh, let me mention three of them. I said we had a very strong discipleship uh, uh, ministry. We do. And so we have a discipleship book. Many people say, um, how is it, you know, it's so clear in the Bible. Why don't Jewish people believe in Jesus? Well, why don't you find out? Uh, we have this book designed specifically for Jewish people living in Israel called Foundations of the Faith. You can take it home and read something very interesting. Number two, we have also, uh, from a messianic and rabbinical perspective, what the prophecies say about, uh, about Jesus. And you can look at what the rabbis say and what the Bible says. And finally, we have a great book with Messianic Israeli Jewish worship. And we also have that, and you can uh, take it home. Finally, yes, you can help us by giving. Let me say, first of all, this church is already helping us, okay? So thank you, Pastor Mitch. Thank you, Redeemer. You guys are already helping us. But if you want to be personally involved in this, you can do it. Uh, I mentioned Operation Chesed. Uh, what this church has given today and what if you choose to give today, will be used exclusively for Operation Hesed. I told you about these boxes. It costs us 50 bucks to feed a Jewish family for seven days. So if you give today, we will use that money for that. You can write a check. You can give by, by cash. We can take your credit card, whatever. Uh, you can do that at the, uh, at the materials table. So uh, if you do, in case you do, and I don't want to play the violin here. Um, I really hate that. But there are people in need. So if you choose to help us, you will be helping to put food on the plate of a Jewish person, of an Arab person, in the land where our Savior was born, ministered, and gave his life for us. So may the Lord tell you, may the Lord lead you uh, what to do with that. But I do, I do hope that you will come at least to get a book. Uh, get, uh, leave me your information so we can be in touch with you. Okay. That's that. Now, pay attention because it is now time to drink from the third cup, the cup of redemption. But the service can continue because something is missing. Something at the very beginning was broken, buried, and now we need to bring it back. Does anybody remember the name? ¿Cómo se llamaba? Vamos. The bread. Yes, the bread. The bread had a name. What was the name? Yes, the Afrikomen. This is the time that all the kids are waiting for because all they go, they go around the house looking for the Afrikomen. Only one will find it. When this is found, it is returned to the Father who will now break it in little pieces. Each person at the table receives a piece like this. And this piece of bread will be taken along with the third cup. The cup of redemption. Does this look familiar? You see, my brothers and sisters, of course it looks familiar. For this is the origin of the Lord's Supper. Think about this. Where else can we find a clear image of Jesus that in the Afrikoman, which is without leaven, the symbol of a nature, without, without sin. But I can see Jesus not only in the Afikomen, but in the Matzatosh as well. 
Do you remember this pouch containing the three pieces of unleavened bread? Lots of questions about, uh, among the rabbis about the meaning of this mysterious three in one. Some say it reminds us of the three patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Hmm. Others say it reminds us of the three pillars of Judaism, prayers, good deeds, and rabbinical law. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Finally, others say, no, no, no. This probably reminds us of the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom of Israel. The priests, the Levites, and the Jewish people. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Nobody knows. And none of these answers give me an answer to my question. But why do we keep looking for answers? Why don't we... Accept the answer that we find in the very design of the matzotosh. You see, in it we have three parts, but they're one. They're more than one. They're like a unity. A word which in Hebrew means unity is the word ehad. And this word was used by God when speaking to the Jewish people. He said, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ehad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the word used here to say one is the word ahad, which means unity. And it's during Passover that the Father removes the middle portion of this matzotosh. This one becomes visible while the other two remain invisible. I think this clearly speaks of the unity of one God, revealing three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? You know it. Because Jesus was broken in his death, buried, and then brought back to life. And that is the reason, friends, why Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, took the afikomen and said, this is my body, which is broken for all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, following this commandment, that's exactly what we're going to do. So I'm going to call upon our helpers, the Redeemer guys, to come and help us to distribute the bread. Are we distributing? Okay, we can, we can do both at the same time. Okay. Hold on. Okay, go ahead and distribute both. And we're going to wait, okay, until we all receive. We're going to partake from this all together like we would do at a Passover dinner.
Okay. We ready? So, imagine everything was going according to plan. Everything was going up to, you know, same old, same old. Ima imagine the shocker when everybody was waiting for Jesus to say, this is the bread of affliction which reminds us of the body of those Passover lambs. Imagine the shock of the apostles when Jesus surprises them all by saying, Again, of that afikom that had been broken, buried, and brought back. Imagine when he says, this is my body, which is broken for all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of him, we eat from the afikom. But Jesus was not done. And so he took the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now, how do you know it was the cup of redemption? Very simple. Even until today, the cup, the cup that comes after dinner is the cup of redemption. That's why the gospel writers had to put it in the gospel. Have you ever wondered, why put such a detail that it was the cup that came after dinner? So today in 2018, we would know that it was the cup of redemption. And it was of this cup. That again, imagine the disciples in a state of shock because Jesus was changing an ancient tradition. Jesus shocks them even further by saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink from the cup of redemption. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, we thank you because you shocked the apostles that night. We thank you because your Son took those ancient elements, the bread and the cup, which are taken by Jewish people today, but gave them a new meaning and this wonderful salvation that we experience. We thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you because you loved us so much that left your life so we could enjoy your salvation. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Isn't it amazing, brothers and sisters, that Jewish people, even until today,
will take, for seven days, starting on Friday, we'll take a piece of bread, we'll take a cup to remember the body and the blood of those Passover lambs. They're just looking at shadows. And we need to praise God because we are not looking at shadows, but because the mystery has been revealed to us. We don't remember those Passover lambs. We remember Yeshua, Jesus, our Passover lamb. Amen? And so we now come to the third cup, uh, the, the final cup, the cup of praise. The cup of Hallel. Hallel, Hallel, that does sound familiar, Hallel. Hallelujah. That Hallel is the root of the word Hallel, of the word Hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. Now here comes a question for you on this Palm Sunday. Do you have a reason to praise the Lord? You see, I didn't used to have one. I was born in a Jewish family in 1965 in Santa Fe, Argentina. And I became a believer because I went to too many Jewish funerals. You see, I told you I was born in 65. Starting in 71, people in my family started dropping like flies. Uh, my great-grandmother died in front of me. That's going to make an impression on you. Then my grandfather, my grandmother. And I remember when my Aunt Esther died. Oh, everybody loved Esther. She was an amazing woman. She's the reason why my mother sent me to learn English. And Esther died. And I remember the face of grief and pain in my mother's eyes. And after that, I just had to go to her and said, Mom, what happens when you die? And she said, nothing, son. You go to sleep forever. There's nothing more. That scared the living daylights out of me. And so I started being afraid of going to sleep. And so I, at night, I would go to sleep and try to stay awake. Because my question was, what if I don't wake up? Fast forward to the year 1980, when I met a group of real Christians. People who really had something different, who did not discriminate me because I was Jewish, who actually embraced me because I was Jewish, and despite my reticence to believe in the Catholic God, remember Argentina, Jesus, Maria, Jose. It doesn't get more Catholic than that. Okay, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I was Jewish. I was not going to believe in the Catholic God. But because of their testimony and their changed lives, I opened my heart to the one who then I learned was the Messiah of Israel. Fast forward to the year... Nine, uh, 2005. Ah, the 6th of January of 2005. El Día de los Reyes. Flor de regalo me dejaron. See, that day, I went for my first ever major surgery. And of course, I was, I, I was apprehensive, you know, first major surgery. So I went to the doctor and said, Doc, is this going to be okay? He said, in typical Argentine humility, that's a joke for Hispanics. You need to go to your Hispanic friend to ask about the meaning of that. So in typical Argentine humanity, says, oh, this is so easy. This is a walk in the park. This is a, you know, this is a piece of cake. It's so easy, I could do it with my eyes closed. 
And I guess he did because he left, he left a vein open. And so I had an internal hemorrhage. And then I had something I don't wish anybody called a hypovolemic shock. And so I found myself in the ER, in the ICU, connected to a bunch of machines. She was going inside me. And around 8 p.m., I hear the, the head of the ICU, Dr. Grace Gomez, impossible to remember, to forget. And she said, oh, you're awake. Good. Um, Mr. Katz, I have some really, you know, I don't know how to tell you this, but we don't know if you're going to make it. I said, why? This was supposed to be easy. Yeah, but the thing is, you got a leak. Now, you got a leak. That doesn't sound that bad. Have you seen the commercials of this guy, Phil? You know, the guy with the tape and the, 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 the you know, he fixes every leak with that thing, you know? He even sews a boat in two, and you know. But the fact is, I was leaking blood. And she said, you're leaking blood. Your, your blood pressure is 80 over 20. And we need to put you under anesthesia. And here, come, here came the words that shocked me. We don't know if you're going to wake up. Back to that kid. And my mind flew straight to that time when I was a kid. This time was not hypothetical. This time it was, it was very probable. But this time I had something different. See, this time I had Jesus in my heart. Or Yeshua, or the Messiah, that's what I call it. And so I prayed to him. I said, Lord, if I make it, thank you. But if I don't, you know I have believed in your son. And friends, I had peace. Peace I cannot explain. I had peace when they rolled me out of that room. I had peace when they rolled me into that very cold operating room. I still remember it. I had peace when I woke up after a 36-hour coma. I had peace during the three months that I did rehab at that hospital. Do you? That's my reason. Do you have a reason? Because if you don't, why don't you talk to us? Talk to the friend who invited you. Talk to Pastor Mitch. Talk to me. Talk to Antonio. To Becky. And find out how you can have a reason to praise the Lord. So, we come to the end of Passover. But there's just one last thing we need to do. At the Passover table, you need to leave always a, an extra spot. And that's the spot for the prophet Elijah. You put the best, the best setting, the best cutlery, the best chair for the prophet Elijah. You might ask, why so much interest in Elijah? Well, it is written in the, prophet, in the book of the prophet Malachi that before Messiah comes, he will be preceded by the return of Elijah the prophet. So, and sorry about the camera, the kids at the end of the service, they go to the door, they open it wide, and they scream at the top of their lungs three times, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Hoping that the prophet will be there, will take his seat at the table and announce 
that finally Messiah has come. Well, as we say here in Texas, I tell you what. I know that Elijah already came. For when Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, he was very clear when he said, if you care to accept him, if you're willing to accept him, he's that Elijah who was to come. So friends, the prophet, the forerunner, has come. And so has the Messiah. Thank you. I hope you will walk out of here with a better understanding of the Lord's Supper. And may God bless us all as we go into this week celebrating His death and resurrection.